The following is a basketballnews.com production. Welcome to the Postcast, featuring three-time champion and one of the original 3 and D guys, James Posey. I'll be your host, Jameson Welsh. And today we have a special guest, um, two-time NBA champion, two-time NBA All-Star, and Manor House legend, Mr. David West. <laughs> D. West, how's everything going today? Everything's good, man. Thanks for having me. What's up, D. West? What's going on, Pose? How are you, man? I'm good, man. Appreciate you taking the time out, man. Man, they just don't know the relationship that we got, but like I said, I always uh, respect and appreciate you from the start. So we're going to jump right into it now. I mean, don't hold back or whatever, but uh, everybody want to know how you ended up at Xavier. So, so how you end up at Xavier? Uh, yeah, well, it was, um, it wasn't that complicated, man. So I was, uh, born and raised in New Jersey. I played basketball up there till I was, you know, 15, 16 years old. And then we moved to, uh, to North Carolina for my last couple of years of high school. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really, uh, you know, go to school much, um, my first couple of <laughs> years in Jersey. So when I got to, North Carolina, I was behind the eight ball in terms of my grades. So I ended up having to do an extra year of high school at Hargrave Military. Uh, and uh, before that, you know, uh, before I went to Hargrave, I was getting some light interest. Um, got a couple Prop 48 offers, but, uh, you know, really no real scholarship offers. And then I went to, Hargra- I went to Hargrave. Um, ECU was the first school, I think, to officially offer me. Then Old Dominion. Um, but they were, you know, I felt like, um, though they were good schools, I, my, you know, my, my palate still wasn't satisfied. Then I got offered by Marshall. Um, um, but before all of that, in like September, I was playing in this, uh, tournament called the Charlie Weber, which, uh, back in the day used to play like one last AAU tournament, like end of September, early October. So we were, I was up at Charlie Weber. And uh, I was playing on one of the auxiliary courts and uh, there were no coaches at our game. And then I was having a good game. I was having a pretty good tournament. And then I saw this little, uh, this little short, uh, little short dude with a uh, little black dude with these glasses, peek his head around the corner. And uh, he looked and I kind of met his eye and I just kept on playing. And then I realized by the end of the game, he was sort of sitting in between the curtain, watching me and watching the other game. So after the game, uh, you know, he comes and introduces himself. Um, you know, he says, hey, my name's, you know, Jeff Battle. I'm, I'm from Xavier University. He said, man, I don't have the power to, to offer you a scholarship, he said, but I'm offering you a scholarship and I want you to know <laughs> that we're, we're seriously interested in you uh, at Xavier. So um, I was like, all right. So I, I didn't pay anything to it. Maybe a month or two later, we were playing a game at Fork Union. Um uh, Coach Prosser, I didn't know he was coming, but Xavier had started recruiting me some. Coach Prosser came uh, to watch me play that night, uh, and he offered me a scholarship after that game. So um, it was probably through that winter they recruited me. Uh, I really didn't look anywhere else. Uh, went on went on like two visits. My third visit was was to Xavier, and um, you know it was a fit right from the gate. Um, once once I realized like you know, the eight, what the A-10 was. I wasn't really familiar with the A-10, but then at the time, all you had to say was UMass, and then it clicked. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in there. Like, I'm going to play against UMass. I'm going to play against Temple. Let's go. And, um, you know, that was that was really what sold me. I felt like it was a big enough basketball environment, but a small enough um, school environment to, to, to best benefit me because I was a guy that wasn't coming from a great, school background and um, I needed small classroom, small environment, but I uh, needed a big time basketball place to build. And that's what I found. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy because that's, that's really hot. Ended up at Xavier too. I was a prop coming out. You know, grades wasn't bad and, and, and coach battle, you know what I'm saying? He came and then next thing you know, Skip Prosser came and they still wanted me to come there. And so I, you know, for me, Hey, I had to take advantage of that opportunity too. You know what I'm saying? So I ended up there. And then I hosted, you know, I hosted you on your visit. I thought you was going to say I was the reason you came to Xavier, but it's all good. But, no, nah, I hosted D-West on, on his visit. And uh, 
like I said, I mean, he was a quiet little kid coming in. And like I said, it was a, a small time school, but big time basketball. And that was one of the things I fell in love with too as well. And it was contagious because a lot of people felt the same way when they started rolling there. So now you get there, play for the great Skip Prosser as well. You killing. I mean, you just dominate and you just killing. I had an opportunity. If I'd have stayed my prop year, I would have I been playing with you. But yeah, at the time I was like, uh, well, I'm gonna get my piece of paper and uh, the league is sort of calling. I was like, yo, I gotta go. <laughs> I was like, I gotta go. But yeah, I would've been playing with, uh, been playing with you, but I'm happy I left. But hey, I don't know if I'd've been in a hang with you, D-West, cause you was killing, man. You was killing. Nah, we, nah, you know, the thing about it was, man, we had, uh, you know, Xavier's just a very unique, it's a unique place. You know that, man, like you can play basketball all the time. And, you know, the campus is small enough where I mean, you're just constantly within arm's reach of help, you know, whether it's, you know, needing to get into the weight room or, you know, needing to just go play some pickup. I mean, we had guys that used to play in like the uh, the rec pickup games, you know, because it was just always basketball going on. So you just it was an environment where you could get better, especially if you was like a hooper. Like if you was a guy like I wasn't really into a whole lot, you know, coming out of when I went to military school, man, I was so, so nervous about, you know, just messing up like I felt like that was my my last step and like everything for me was don't don't fuck it up you know don't fuck up so I was just on pins and needles um even when I got to school I was like yo you cannot mess this situation up so I just tried to maximize everything that the school had to offer so um you know it was like I said it was a great experience from start to finish um you know the way coach you know kind of ran his his uh his ship it it, it it whipped me into shape in terms of just having the focus and get my mind prepared to be a be an everyday kind of person when it came to the game. Like just just do it every day, man, and just make right. it a part of who who I was. And he was really instrumental in that. Because um, again, coming out of military school, man, I wanted to come to school and have fun right away. And I mean, <laughs> it lasted for like two weeks, and then it was like, nah, you gotta you gotta get here and get to work. Gotta um, lock in, so, right? You know, that's what it was, yeah. Now, how how intense is the Xavier Cincinnati rivalry? Because from the outside, we don't know. Like we're not there. We just see the clips on television. We've seen the fights and the the battles and whatnot. But how intense and hostile is that rivalry? I mean, I mean, it's it's the biggest rivalry to me. I mean, in college basketball, one of them at least. I mean, you know, the schools back in the day. And I don't know if they still do, but suppose you remember that summer league, right? Remember yeah, that summer league, right? So. A lot of it started in that summer league. Like you would have, there was this like local summer league in Cincinnati that, you know, Xavier guys played on a couple teams and then the Cincinnati guys played on a couple teams and things usually started like the little chirpiness and figuring out like who had the advantage that year. It started in that summer league. Um, And then it would just spill over into the season. Like the schools were close. We were always constantly competing. And then, the basketball environments in both places are crazy. So you always had that fight, like who was the best basketball team, best basketball environment in the city. And, you know, we, 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 we handle Cincinnati, you know, like. For sure we handle them. Yeah, we handle them. For all the resources and stuff they have, like, you know, we handle them pretty much. So, um, you know, our thing was, you know, we've all, I always at least felt like they got the, they got the, the the edge in terms of what people thought in the papers, what the media thought. They always started with Cincinnati, right? And every time they talked about the conversation. So one of my one of my things was while I was there at least, it was like, we're gonna be better than them. Like if we ain't better than nobody else, we're gonna be better than them. And usually like using them as a measuring stick would usually put you in, you know, pretty good company nationally. But it's intense, man. You know, like we end up you know, you know, sometimes messing with the same girls when we was back in school, you know, the city, Cincinnati's <laughs> big, but it ain't that big in terms of, you know, where, where everybody is. So right, right. we had a lot of that stuff, had a lot of st- that stuff going on. Uh, but, you know, we just, again, man, it was about the competition and for us, you know, carrying that feeling of like, yeah, nobody can mess with us, you know, in the city, especially, especially Cincinnati was something that, you know, it's very proud. It's a proud thing that you carry for going, you know, going to Xavier and going into that rivalry. 
Yeah, the crazy thing with that too is like they was almost like a pro team already. Because you figure the guys that they recruited, they brought in, they was, you know, always sort of ranked, you know what I'm saying? And they always stayed having some Juco guys as well. And then it was like Xavier. I mean, we was there, but we wasn't there. You know what I'm saying? Like, who are these guys? What they're about? But then, you know, once we got to playing, like you said, that summer league, that kicked off everything. That (laughs) that always set it off for me, at least. Like, while I was in school, that was always a big, a big deal, like, you know, whoever dealt, whoever won during the season was fine, and then it would always spill over. And then while I was there, it always felt like they were like, "Yo, we want to show you the guys we bringing in." And we was like, "Man, whatever, man, <laughs> whatever." Like, don't even matter, right? So look, so you go there for four years. You know, at the end of the, the end of your four years, what you rank second in points? You know how many points you got? I don't know, but I know you it's up know? there. I don't know. Oh, uh, you don't know how many points you got. You know, nah, you, you know, you second though, right? Oh yeah, no, I think I'm third, bro. You third? Yeah, because I think Blewett, the kid, the kid Trayvon Blewett got up there, so I think I'm oh, third. Tra- oh. Yeah, nobody, oh, okay. nobody caught, nobody gonna catch Byron. And then uh, I think Trayvon is up there. He passed me because he was shooting oh. all the threes. <laughs> but now nah, all of that, man, like that, all that. Everything that happened to Xavier, man, I'm telling you, I tell I tell my son now, it's like I couldn't I didn't foresee any of that. Like, um, I'm telling you, man, I was ranked ninety nine out of and I was in I was number ninety nine in the state of North Carolina going into my senior year. And um, you know, I didn't have a single scholarship offer until again after my senior year and I was already at Hargrave for a couple months and I got I went from having no scholarship offers to having basically about four with Xavier being the biggest in um, uh, by November. And then I'm on Xavier's campus in February. Y'all played Temple. I remember uh, you had a crazy game that day against Temple. And uh, I remember like telling coach B like, I got to go home and talk to my mom and dad, but I'm coming. Like, don't, don't think I'm not coming. And then I remember, and it just, Next thing you know, I'm on campus. You know, I'm starting. We win the games. We in Alaska. We back year two. I mean, it just was, you know what I mean? It just started rolling. And, um, you know, I haven't even had a chance yet to really go back to it. But, like, Xavier's been one of, was one of those places where, like I said, I, all of that wasn't supposed to happen. Because, you know, there were guys there when I got there that were ranked higher than me. Um, you know, I was – Literally in the recruiting class, I was the third, third recruit in that class. Lionel and David Young were ranked were, were higher wow. rated recruits than me, man. Yeah, so I was the third wow. in that class coming in there. So that's why I say all of it just kind of, man, it just ha- you know what I'm saying, it just happens. <laughs> you know? So I mean, it just it is what it is. But you know, that's why I've always been thankful and appreciative of that opportunity because. You know, I don't know how it would have worked out anywhere else, but it was a perfect, perfect fit for me. Where were the other options besides Xavier? And also, once you got to Xavier, where did your confidence get to? Because you mentioned things just kind of took off. Uh, where did the confidence come from in that process? Right. Well, I, I mean, I had a couple. I had a, a offer to ECU, uh, Marshall, Old Dominion. Um, those were like my, my, the, the schools I always say were offering me scholarships, but each one of those schools are kind of like, you know, uh, I just felt, you know, that they weren't, they weren't the right fit. And then when Xavier came along, like I said, it just, it just happened. It was like, I clicked with coach B. I clicked with coach Prosser. I clicked with coach Schmidt. Um, all of the, you know, Chris Mack at the time was the graduate assistant. I clicked with him. I, I just clicked with the whole thing. I got, I got hit to the nun, you know, sort of telling me what to do, which was, you know, Sister Roseanne was great for us, man. You know, she just, it was just a different, not something that I wasn't used to. You know what I'm saying? Like, wow, I'm living, this nun is checking on me every day and communicating with this. You know, it was just different. So it all just, it all just made sense for me. And then, you know, being at the, being on campus, being in that environment, um, you know, one of the biggest, um, biggest summers for me, for me was from my freshman to sophomore year. This was before they shut down and redid um, or move. We moved out of Schmidt Fieldhouse, but I had a whole spring and summer to train in the old cage 
It was kind of like gritty. I remember, um, uh, uh, you know, a few of the former pro or former pros and like guys who were still playing pretty active came back and played pickup. Um, so I got a chance to like compete against, you know, some some former Xavier guys, but were still sort of in their prime and their uh, playing, and then played in that summer league in Cincinnati, <clears throat> uh, which was crazy competition. So. It was just a combination of that leap I made from freshman to sophomore year um, that gave me the most confidence. And then, um, you know, as time went on, I just started believing, you know, some of the things people were saying about my potential in, in being an NBA player. And, um, I just I really took my time with the NBA step because I was always like, damn, I can't even believe I'm right here. Like, I can't believe I'm making all conference or whatever. So I'm going to just keep building like this, you know, I never got too far ahead of myself when it came uh, looking at the NBA, but my confidence was, I was just building confidence on a daily basis, you know, being on campus. I never went home. You know, I figured out a way to stay in Cincinnati, stay on campus. So I always had access to basketball. We played pickup all summer. Um, You know, that was another thing. Like we had guys on the team that wanted to hoop. So we didn't have guys that wanted to go home. And guys that wanted to go on spring break and none of that, like we were at school hooping. And, um, you know, that's really where I got a lot of my confidence and just was able to work on my game on a consistent basis. You talk about just, you know, uh, being player of the year in, in, a, in a conference, but nationally. Yeah. Player of the year, too. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure like. I mean, I, I'm not sure I, I had to check this out, but I mean, outside of what I probably say be Larkin or something like that, but. That's you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Come from that school and, and having that honor right there, man, that, that speaks volumes right there. Like, how was how that feeling? And then when we just talked about the confidence, now was that like, hey, that, that next level, I'm, I'm really feeling good about my chances there? Or was you still like, eh, I'm not sure? Right. Well, I, um, yeah, man, again, like all that National Player of the Year stuff, man, I was just trying to, I was just literally just trying to play and be productive. That was it, like. Man, if you set these records, fine. But you know, <laughs> I just want to make, you know, I just want to score the ball. I want to help our team win, have a good time. You know, winning in college is one of the, you know, best experiences you can kind of go through just being in a winning environment. So um, I just wanted to win. And then, you know, by the, like I said, by my senior year, I had spent, I had gone to a couple of those uh, camps in the summertime, um, you know, being a counselor. And then, uh, you know, I had just gone – like, I think – remember I came up to uh, Chicago and played pickup that one summer with you up there? Yeah. Um, I was doing that more often, right? So finding weekends to, to go play and get exposure. Uh, went out to Colorado for the U- Team USA uh, camp uh, one time. And yep. all that sort of started helping me measure myself against these other guys who were, you know, trending toward the NBA. So – um that's I would go out there, figure it out, be like, okay, come back to Xavier, settle in, start working. So, by the time I was a senior, man, I, you know, I I thought about leaving uh, as a junior, uh, but when I looked at the prospects, the teams that would potentially draft me, and then feeling like, you know, another eight months on this campus, I had already gotten enough credits to graduate, so I literally had to take one more class, uh, one more uh, serious class as a senior my, my the fall so i was like man i'm gonna just i'm gonna come back one more year riding with the guys have a really good season and all of the other stuff just came along with you know being really really focused probably some of the most serious basketball i had played in my life up to that point like on a consistent basis so um winning national player of the year and all that stuff i mean it it's good in retrospect but it wasn't anything that i was aiming for it just felt really good to be uh you know, to get honored and be respected for sort of putting the time in. Because like I said, none of it was like I wasn't on nobody's list. You know, I always tell like I just played. I was playing really good basketball at the right time when Coach B saw me. Because like had I not been playing at, I think, right at the level that I was at, I don't think he would have paid me any mind. But I was so, so nervous and so on edge about fucking up. Like, man, you ain't got nothing after this. So it was like every every opportunity I got to play, I just tried to max out. Like whatever that looked like, I tried to max out. And so, uh, you know, that's when I was like, you know what? It, you know, 
this is the place I need to go. And like I said, things just sort of kept falling into place after that. So now you get drafted. Right. 18. Lucky 18. I was drafted 18. You come in, you draft 18. We still attached at the hip. <laughs> so you get drafted. Now, you know what I'm saying, coming to your rookie year, you know what I'm saying, not being able to play as much, a little injury. How did that, you know what I'm saying, that year, your rookie year, and then building up just – getting used to the league in itself, how did that, I mean, how did that affect you? What was your mindset going into that? Right. So, man, you know, um, I always look at it like this. My first couple years, I got really lucky. Um, I got banged up. I, like, chipped the bone on my knee my second year and missed, like, 55, 60 games. My my first year, um, I was on the oldest team in the league, like, the like the most veteran vets of the vets vets like <laughs> just a super vet like a super vet team man and um those guys really took care of me in terms of get me straight get me on the right path i only played like maybe 12 14 minutes a game or something like that and um so i had time to sit and watch matt watch mashburn watch pj brown david wesley daryl armstrong george lynch uh, Stacy Augman, Steve Smith, Sean Rooks, like, you know, just absolute vets. So um, got a chance to watch those guys. And then Barron was a young cat at the time. Big Cat McGraw was a young guy. Um, you know, Track the Trailer was, uh, was on the team at the time. So those were the three guys closest to me in age. Um, everybody else was like 33 and up, yo. So, <laughs> I, you know, it was like literally just learning – you know, they had one rule. I couldn't, I couldn't get, I couldn't leave the gym before they did. So um, right. as long as they left, then I could leave. And same thing, I couldn't show up later than they got there in the morning. So as long as I got there before them and I left after them, they didn't, you know, I didn't go through any of the rookie hazing or none of that. They were too, they were too past, too far beyond that. So I got really lucky my first couple of years. And then um, my third year, I, you know, I, Finished the year, uh, my second year with this sort of made it up in my mind, you know, you really got to take the step up in terms of my off-season training, nutrition, um, just really got a better focus about being in the league. Like it's not, you know how it is. When you go in the league, it can sometimes appear easy because nobody's on your doorstep. Nobody's calling your phone, telling you when to get there. You kind of can, as long as you're on time, you're good. But you don't realize practice started at 11. You got to get there at nine. You right. got to get your work in. You know what I mean? You got to learn that part of it, you know? So um, uh, so that was an adjustment. But like I said, the vets helped me see that stuff. So by my third year, um, you know, I was ready to go. Like I just had a different mindset. I, um, you know, was listening a little bit more. Uh, you know, we drafted CP. So CP was on the team now. He was young. And we were kind of given the reins to sort of get the team back on track, learn how to win, um, and things took off from there. Now, how did you and Chris Paul create that chemistry so quickly? Because it seemed very seamlessly. It seemed like right right when you guys got together, it just clicked. What was what was behind that? Uh, Coach Prosser. Like, we both – that was a common connection. So – I first met Chris at a Nike camp. I was a counselor. He was a camper. And he, he introduced him. Hey, hey, David, did you uh, you know Coach Pross? I was like, yeah, man, I played for him. Oh, I was like, I used to play for him. He like, well, yeah, I'm going to Wake Forest to play for him. I was like, okay, dope. Like, that's how we first met. And then, um, you know, from there, we kind of just kept in touch through Coach. Um, you know, there was a couple of times where I spoke to Chris while he was at during his time at Wake while I was, you know, getting through my first couple of years in the league. And then when it became evident we were going to draft him, um, you know, it was just, again, our connection was coach. Coach connected us. We actually I remember having a, a, a conversation uh, with all three of us on the phone. Coach just talking about how proud and stuff he was of us. But it was a that was the that was the connecting piece. Like and we understood each other because we had played for him. So we knew what. I guess to expect of each other because we knew what coach expected of us as competitors. You know what I'm saying? So I knew what he was capable of. I think he knew what I was capable of. Um, and our styles just fit. You know, he's a pick and roll guy, developed and evolved into a pick and pop player. Um, you know, that's something that I picked up in the league. People don't realize, man, I 
I made like six threes my whole college career. Like I didn't shoot the ball in college. I played around the basket, you know what I'm saying, my whole career. But then, <laughs> you know, just again, in order to adjust and have an effective way of competing in a much bigger, stronger, faster, more explosive league, I had to develop, uh, you know, a pick and pop game. And, um, you know, Chris was the perfect guy for it. So now y'all make the transition from, you know what I'm saying, from Caroline, then y'all end up basically in New Orleans, you know what I'm saying, because, you know, what took place. Now, how, how was that adjustment there? How was that city life between the two? You know what I'm saying? Basically, both of y'all being sort of locals, but now, at the end of the day, y'all shift, y'all had to relocate to, to New Orleans. Right. Well, um, you know, I don't think it was a, I don't think it was a, um, uh, it was an issue. Uh, you know, the thing about our time, me and Chris's time in New Orleans is like, it was always that building. You know what I mean? Like we were there with our thought process was we're going to build. And, you know, we wanted to start winning. Then we like, all right, let's make the playoffs. We did that. And then we got to the, got to the end. Um, you know, we just had, <clears throat> there were philosophical differences between the organization, between us, not as us, between us players, but like, you know, they started to do things that we just, um, you know, we didn't agree with. And um, I think once you put a certain amount of time in the league, it's not that you want to be, you want to have the power to make a decision. You want to at least be informed like, okay, I've been with the team three, four, five, six, seven years. Uh, you know, maybe just ask us what we've heard about certain guys or how we feel about guys on the locker or in our locker room and, you know, Tyson was a big part of that. When they tried to trade Tyson, I knew that CP's days were numbered. I, I knew that because um, he and Tyson had, you know, really, you know, perfected the, the lob thread at the rim. You know, if he had his way, he, he would have played with Tyson most of his career. Um, mm -hmm. So um, I know that affected, you know, just sort of how he looked at the uh, the team and his own career and, you know, again, once I got hurt, I tore my knee up, and then we went into the lockout. It was pretty evident that um, I was going to go a different direction. And then um, Chris followed shortly after that, and the team went into uh, went into rebuild. But, you know, we learned a lot, man. You know, you go through those phases in the league, right? Like, you got one shot to go through it. And I was fortunate enough to start off with a, a really, really good team, go through some down years where, you know, the responsibility of rebuilding the franchise and, you know, getting fans involved and going out and winning games and figuring out ways to help the team strategize to win games, you know, was a great experience for me because not a lot of guys get to go through that or, or given the opportunity to do that in the league. So um, we were able to do that. I thought we, you know, were able to establish that franchise, um, you know, with, 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 a, with a good playoff run and just making, uh, you know, making the best out of some tough situations like, you know, going to OKC for a couple of years because of Katrina. Um, we were still able to be successful and win games. So, um, you know, you, you get to a point, uh, and Pose, you know, that you get to a point in the NBA where you know, if you don't win, you know, in three, four years, you know is you got to start thinking about shifting gears. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's what, that's what ultimately happened with us in New Orleans. I mean, y'all had a hell of a run, too, because uh, that year y'all ended up playing San Antonio. And so that was like the first, I think the first experience of like playoff basketball and right. having a, you know what I'm saying, like really having a chance and, and being in that, that spotlight. So that year I come, what, 08, 09 after I went from Boston, here we go, we attached again, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, of course the confidence grows for you guys. What was that mindset as far as, okay, we got, we got a taste of it and then having the season following it where it wasn't, you know, quite the same. Mentally, how, how, was the, how, did, how did that affect you? Well, you know, I, again, I think when, you know, when you came, um, you know, our intentions, we were thinking, right, we were thinking win. We were thinking, you know, we had to load up because, you know, you had to win freaking 50 games just to get to the eighth seed in the West at that time. <laughs> um, so, you know, you know, our biggest thing was we were missing Tyson. Um, you know, Tyson and Page literally went and won a championship <laughs> a year or two later with Dallas, um, basically playing our style. Um, and we, you know, we, again, we felt like, you know, with the addition of you, um, uh, 
had we been able to hold on to to a guy like Tyson, we were going to get there. Like I always thought about that Dallas championship as our as our moment because again, we had overcome Dallas um, mm-hmm. as an organization. Like for years, we couldn't beat them. Then all of a sudden, they couldn't beat us. And you know that culminated with us running them out of the playoffs in five or six games. Um, so you know we were confident in terms of our uh, our building, but. You know, that year we realized, again, one of those years where, you know, we're not on the same page. The co- coaches are not on the same page with the front office. Front office is not on the same page with players and, you know, style of play questions. Um, you know, and ultimately that's what I felt like created all that uncertainty around what should have been a much, much more productive run at it. Like I felt like we we cut our we cut ourselves off probably two or three years Um you know, from having a really legit uh, chance at a, at, a, at a title down in New Orleans. So you go from New Orleans to Indiana. Yeah. Uh, what, from your experiences in New Orleans, did you take to the Indiana uh, Pacers team and kind of mold that? It was a younger team at that time. Yeah. Uh, what were the experiences you took from the New Orleans experience to Indiana? Yeah, you know, they had just uh, – <laughs> crazy thing was when I got to Indy, I think, Paul, you were there the year before. And they had just made the playoffs, right, with the AC. And when I yep. got there, uh, so Frank Vogel, this was like his first full year. Like, you would have thought that, you know, they had, like, gone to the conference finals or, like, there was such a uh, a level of accomplishment. And I, I get it, right? Like, you know, the idea is to make the playoffs. But I was like, look, um, we had, I think, Paul George might have been in his second year. We had really young team. Um and, you know, vet, guys like Pose, I think uh, Jeff Foster, like some of the veterans were no longer in the group. So when I got to Indy, I was just like, all right, this is a lockout year. I'm coming off my ACL. Um, I knew I was going to have to change my game, um, you know, not being able to be so much pick and pop oriented anymore. Um, and I had used the lockout, you know, a chance to really get stronger and improve, you know, my base. So when I came back, uh, uh, and my first year in Indy, man, was like, you know, I was probably maybe 10, 12 pounds heavier than I was in, in New Orleans. Um, you know, I was, again, playing in the in the legit 250s for the first time in my career. And I had played basically in the 230s down in um, in New Orleans, you know, 236, 238, no more than 240. So um, in Indy, I had just, you know, over the lockout, ACL reconstruction, I'm like, man, I'm going to get stronger. Lower body got stronger, bigger. Um, changed the way I played and just tried to bring a toughness, a level of toughness to the Pacers um, um, that they didn't have. And it was a style – like, we didn't have any identity. Uh, we were trying to build around Paul. Um, Paul was really young. We had Lance on the bench. Lance wasn't even playing yet. Like, Lance was just – Lance, man. Lance. <laughs> Fresh out of high school, college experience, like – you know, he was still learning how to do it. Uh, we had a few guys like that. So I just tried to be consistent. Um, I was going through an adjustment period. But, you know, having experience with some playoff runs in New Orleans, um, bringing it to that group, and then ultimately, you know, you know, we made the playoffs that year, right, like three consecutive years, and then two years went to the conference finals against the Heat. Um, you know, I'm probably most proud of the work that I did in Indiana just because, you know, we were we didn't have any expectations. Um, it was a challenge for I think all parties, and I enjoyed, um, you know, my time with Frank because he's a young coach learning the ropes, um, you know. And again, time ran its course there after a great run. Um, you know, we like I said, challenged the Heat to some, you know, to the brink a couple years. Those are the first years of my life, man. I didn't watch the finals, you know, um, because I felt for about three years, yeah, I felt like we should have been there. Um, so I didn't watch the finals, but. Um, you know, it comes with the business. I thought, like I said, the run with with with, uh, with the Pacers was great. Had a lot of fun, learned a lot, and was able to be a part of a, um, a special group. Mm-hmm. So now you having all this experience. Like I said, you you getting there closer and closer. So now you leave. You know, you leave Indy. Next little pit stop is what Spurs. Right. Spurs. W- where did that come from? Like as far as option wise and. Did you just say the Spurs being the Spurs that you have an opportunity to win? Right. Or was what else factored into that? 
You know, man, I, I was just at a point in my career, and I've said this before, man, where um, when I was younger, I, I always talked about, you know, trying to play 10 years. And then um, I got to a point where I was like, man, well, you know, winning this, you know, winning ain't that big of a deal. But then I got older. You know, I had my daughter. Then I had my son in 2009. And I started realizing, like, you know, there were I had gaps, um, meaning in terms of what I had, I had experienced. And um, having those gaps, you want to, you know, you want to fill them. And so, you know, we got really close in Indy. Um, and I realized, I said, what? What do you have to play for right now? Like, what are you playing for? Are you playing for mm. money? No, I'm not really. You know, we saved so much when I was younger, made some smart investments, was able to have a you know stable portfolio. So I'm like, you're not playing for. You're not playing because you want money. What are you playing for? And I was like, well, you're not playing anymore because you want stats either. Like I was over that. Like I was over trying to be an all star and to sort of you know self. Uh, 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 self-led motives in terms of what what can come out of your professional career so you know what do you i was saying what do you want like are you are you pressed on being a starter anymore and again i could have stayed in indy and been and, and played until the wheels fell off as a starter i could have gone when i left indy i had like three other opportunities to go and be the starting power forward but i'm like that ain't what you want either like um you know so i i, I talked to a couple people um I realized like that the Spurs, um, I was a childhood fan of the Spurs, childhood fan of Tim Duncan and all of those guys. And um, one of the one of the things that I wanted to lead the game with, man, honestly, was like that elite level of basketball information. Um, mm. You know, as you know, I'm somebody that I mean, I coach right now. I've coached for a lot of years in youth sports and maybe if as I get older, I'll, I'll go into coaching. But. I've coached my whole life and I've all, I wanted, I wanted to have that bit and um, having a chance to go um, knowing that Tim was probably, you know, it was his last year playing. So having a chance to go and develop a relationship with him, um, be around him and Manu and pop and watch those guys go through it. Um, helped me from a coaching standpoint. Um, Ettore Messina, who's an international coach, global icon in terms of, coaching um legacy another guy was able to learn a lot from that year um you know chip england just learning how to organize a gym organize workouts organize implement and defense like that's what that year was about for me and also just getting the the purity of the game back like i just like after those miami heat losses man i was really beat i you know i, I listened to uh Jim Kelly talked one time and Thurman Thomas talked one time about when they kept losing to Dallas in the Super Bowl and how that took a toll on them, you know, not being able to overcome that. And I started to feel some of that with Miami. Like, just imagine, right, we lost those guys three straight years, three tough series, um, you know, putting everything you can in to trying to beat somebody and then, you know, and then coming up short. You got to accept that at some point, right? So. Um, you know, I was dealing with that and I felt like, okay, we couldn't climb that mountain except the fact that, you know, we, we couldn't get over one of the most you know, talented teams ever put together. So fine. And now I was like, what's next? And the next thing for me was like just the experience, you know, to experience high level coaching. And then my move from San Antonio to Golden State was, you know, to, ex to, to experience the winning, like that ultimate step in winning like how you actually do this shit like pose you've seen it right so you know right. exactly what you and you can't learn it unless you go through it like you don't it, there's just Agreed. no way to replace it like you gotta see how champions prepare every single day you gotta hear the conversations that they have you gotta listen to the to the, the film studies you gotta listen to the individual work you gotta experience it to learn it and so um, when I went to Golden State, you know, along with having a lot of respect for those guys as players, um, you know, they reached out, you know, because I was the plan was to go back to San Antonio. Uh, I was just going to wrap it up down there, just play a couple more years. But then like the, the night we lost, uh, I probably shouldn't even say that shit. I remember Bob might have gotten in trouble, but the <laughs> night we lost, 
the night we lost, Golden State reached out. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, and they was like, yo, look, you come here. We think we can. <laughs> and I was like, we'll see. Like, I'll, I'll think about it because I was thinking about retirement. You know, when you get, get past 10, 12 years, every year you just kind of yep. contemplate retirement. So I was thinking about retirement. And then, uh, and then KD called me. And I was like, what's up? And he like, yo, bro, think about going to Golden State. Trying to come rock out. Let's win some championships. And I'm like, yeah, we can do that. Back. We can do that. Let's let's go. And so uh, once he called me, I was like, it's a wrap. And, you know, I had already had a, a bit of a relationship with Draymond. Steph and I knew some similar people and, you know, share agents. So um, it was really easy going into that environment. Uh, but, again, I got I got exactly what I want. I wanted to see, you know, how these guys prepared. I wanted to experience that environment and then you know when you have championship aspirations from day one pressure there's pressure every single day um there's pressure with the media there's pressure within the team because you got a team full of capable guys at every position so you know you you, everybody is taking every step seriously and you it's something to witness it's something to watch and um like i said it that helped complete sort of this basketball journey for me, you know, from a player perspective. Yeah, because I know even during that process too, you know, me and you had a couple of conversations as well. You know what I'm saying? It was like, hey, I mean, we could use you here too, you know what I'm saying, or whatever. <laughs> like, yo, yo, hey, you come over here, we can win some too. But I'm happy for you, you know what I'm saying? You know, you made the best decision for yourself and hey, you got you a couple rings out of it as well. You know what I'm saying? So like I said, even then I was happy for you then just cause I know our path, you know what I'm saying? It, it was more than just, you know, now it started way before, you know what I'm saying? So you talk about, you know, as far as the, the basketball uh, youth landscape of AAU, I know you have, you know, your, your team down there, AAU, te- AAU team down there as well. What is the difference now, you say, in uh, the AAU, you know what I'm saying, side of things compared to you coming out and, like, now the landscape of things? Um, man, I, w- I would tell you, man, so right now the biggest difference is these kids have training. Like, you know, I was in high school in 99, right? I was a freshman in college. Well, 98, 99, I was a freshman. So about 20 years ago, and within in 20 years, man, that's the biggest difference. These kids have personal trainers. They're working with every everybody who either made it or was supposed to make it and fell off, whatever. All these guys got different sob stories, but that's the biggest difference. And so a few of these kids are with the right people and are getting the right information, and you see it. Some of these kids are developing at a crazy, crazy rate. Um, but then we see a lot of guys, you know, being led the wrong way being misinformed because people are hanging on and not giving them, you know, giving them, not giving them firsthand information because, you know, in a lot of ways they didn't do what they're trying to train a kid to do, right? They, they, they came up short. So I, I find there are a lot of gaps, um, but one, but the biggest difference is all these kids have trainers, man. They, they are working with personal trainers and everybody got a one-on-one workout guru that they're working with. And maybe it's, it's here in North Carolina because it's, it's, Every kid, if you're if you're if you if you don't have a personal trainer in North Carolina as a high school athlete, you not you and you're in the minority because most of these kids got personal trainers and we didn't have that. I mean, I was telling my son, like nobody was telling me about the importance of just doing like body weight exercises like push ups, squats, sit ups. You know what I'm saying? Lunges. Like You don't need no weight room and stuff to do that. Nobody told me that stuff. So. Um, you know, these kids have access to a lot more information, uh, but they also have access to a lot more leisure. So they're not forced to go outside. They don't play in the parks. Um, they can't just, and this is before COVID too. So you can't just go in the rec centers, can't just go into someplace and play in the gym for hours on end. Like the environment doesn't allow it like we used to have it. Like I could go literally play in the park from one to eight or nine o'clock at night in the summertime damn near every day. You know what I'm saying? And then if it rained, they automatically opened the inside gym. There was no like, you know, there was no question 
It was like, nah, we just going to go and play over here. Um, same thing when I came to North Carolina, like there were different, you know, they playing over here at six, they playing over here at this time, they playing over here. these kids. It's not a whole lot of that. Um, right, right, you know, right. Yeah. And they, like I said, they all got one-on-one trainers and it's just a different environment. They, we're producing some good basketball players, um, in pockets. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, we 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 miss out on some kids. I I really believe that because of some of the some of the information that they're not receiving and um, some of the folks that they're learning from. So um, that would be the biggest difference for me. But I still think, like I said, we you know, we've got to do our part. And I know we've talked about this before. Like those of us who have actually played the game, we got to be more willing to be a part of that world. Um, and, you know, we're working on some initiatives to figure that out. But I really feel like if you think about all the professions, like the input that our guys get, very rarely do they hear it from our perspective, like from that professional perspective. So, um, you know, that's one of the reasons why I think pro guys are locked out of the college system, right? Like I heard it last year with um, some folks whispering about Mike Miller on the recruiting trail, right? Like and, and Penny Staff with Memphis. He, they using the NBA influence too much. That's why they getting all the kids. Well, man, they got a that's that's their prerogative. You know, you right. should have made the NBA. You know, you should have. You know, because <laughs> right. like it is an advantage, right? There's a certain perspective yeah. that we have, and there's certain things that we know, and we can help you be effective. Not tomorrow, but like right now. If you do this right now, it's going to help you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that's the stuff we know. Right. And a lot of times, like it boggles my mind. You're like. I, I said this to uh to one of the parents. I said, yo, every high school in America, every high school basketball coach should somehow find himself or figure out a way to get affiliated with a retired NBA player. Like, there's no reason why if you got uh, – uh, and, again, there's a uh, – I'm not going to say his name, but there's a Hall of Fame running back who literally had to transfer his son out of a high school because the high school football coach didn't want to listen to him. Like, wouldn't listen to – this is a Hall of Fame running back. So, like, this happens to us, right? Like, you go in the environment and you're like, wait a minute, I know more than all you motherfuckers in here. Yeah, intimidation, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. but, like – and you don't want to act like that, but it's like sometimes folks act like they don't want your input and they don't – they somehow may have a perspective that you don't have. And so, um, you know, that's the other thing that I would hope to fix in our – you know, in our world, man, is, like, getting – getting a, a pro perspective to some of our younger guys and seeing what that impact will have on them, uh, you know, on this generation or this era of players. Where do you get your legendary toughness from? Because for the longest part of your career, you're always on that list of people not to mess with or people that don't <laughs> take any stuff or you wasn't a fake tough guy. Where do you get your toughness from? Man, oh, shit, man. I mean, I got my ass whooped a couple times um, <laughs> when I was young, you know, and, you know, not being afraid to fight, you know, has always been something like my mother put that in me when I was young, right? Like, you, I, we couldn't come home and with no ass whooping. <laughs> like, we had to at least have said we hit back or we responded, we defended ourselves. Like, um, so that was part of it. And then, you know, I got I got hardened in military school, um, you know, there's nothing like military school um, and going through that. Um, would you recommend that for more kids? <laughs> I said, would you recommend that for more kids? <laughs> I mean, I tell people, like, if you go, you got you got to embrace it and you got to be willing. You got to you got to accept being disciplined, because if you can't accept being disciplined, you ain't going to make it. They're going to run you out of there. Like you got to be you got to be able to deal with somebody being this close to your face. You got to be able to deal with, you know, windows on your door so you don't really have privacy. You sharing bathrooms, you sharing showers. You know, you you don't wake up when you want to. You don't go to bed when you want to. You don't turn the lights on and off when you want to. Mm. Um, you don't eat when you want to. So <laughs> you got to you got to be equipped to deal with that. You know what I'm saying? So um that that's what did it for me. Like when I came out of Hargrave um, dealing with some of the environments in there, you know, I, I I had hardened up in terms of like my fortitude and like what I could deal with. Um, so that's where part of it came from. And then once you get in the league, um, 
you know, you know, there are guys you gotta you gotta defend yourself against to a you know to more of an extent than others. But you know, I never got into anything in the NBA that I felt like I had to I had to come to you know come to blows, particularly publicly. Like I had some scuffles in in practice or whatever, but. Um, you know, that's where it mainly comes from, man. You, you, you develop it over the course of time. And, um, you know, I really had to harden up, um, during, in military school, you know, I watched a couple guys lose their stuff. You know what I mean? Like mentally break down in that environment. So, um, you know, that was, that was something that changed me. You know what I mean? So, um, that's where a lot of it comes from. So life after basketball, what you got going on? Man, um, you know, I got a little bit of everything. Um, you know, I work as a – I consult with a lot of a lot of folks at a, at a bunch of different stages and areas in the game of basketball. Um, uh, working as the COO of the Professional Collegiate League, which is a, a professional college basketball league that seeks to – or hopes to uh, compensate players first and then um, educate guys in a way that's conducive to them. Um, you know, I'm – running a local or uh, own a local sports facility down here in Raleigh um, that we're building a, a, a local sports content network out of. Uh, I coach AAU, um, you know, train guys, uh, you know, starting to work with my son. He's 11 now. Um, recently going back, I recently um, enrolled back in school to get my master's in history from North Carolina Central University. Okay, um, okay. I'm serving on um, – the Athlete Advisory Council for um, Athletes Voices, um, which is a, uh, a project in conjunction with Harvard um, University. So I'm on that council, hoping to help build, you know, platforms and, and, and lanes of um, communication between academia and athletes and their impact that they can have married together in terms of social impact and social messaging um, as we move toward you know, um, more politi- politicized moments, right, that, that we're finding ourselves in with athletes and, uh, and, and the greater society. So um, other than that, man, I'm taking it easy. So I know <laughs> right. that's, how I'm, that's how I'm staying busy, man. I'm, eventually I'll make my way back into, um, into coaching. Uh, you know, I really love coaching at the grassroots level. I like I get a kick out of developing talent. So um, you know, I've already, you know, you know, this post sent guys into the NBA. And, um, that's like a life work of mine, like being able to find a kid that's 10, 11, 12 years old and, you know, impart, in, impact them in a way that helps him continue his basketball journey. Um, and he's able to make a make a way for himself through it. So, um, you know, that's really it, man. Just again, just staying so, active, but you know, trying to do things that I'm passionate about. So when did you know you was you was gonna start turning the corner? Some of these things, like you talk about the the one league um, between the the college. I mean, I guess it's sort of aspect of the colleges and the professional. You know, what I'm saying about paying. You want? Can you go into more detail about that? And where did that come from? Okay, yeah. So um, I got introduced to the league. Uh, it used to be the historical basketball league, uh, but we changed the name um, a few months ago to the professional collegiate league to be more clear and distinct about our objectives. Um, when I was with the Spurs, Matt Bonner introduced me to his brother Luke Bonner, and Luke is in Luke is in in uh, into sports equity after having some uh, you know bad experience with you know with himself and his brother I believe while in school, um, and so he told me about this league these guys were building. So when I retired, they reached out. We had some conversation. Um, you know, it, it fit me in terms of something that I was passionate about. And like I said, it's an opportunity to professionalize the collegiate level uh, without the exploitation. So we believe in compensation for the athletes, um, creating basically a professional league for them to play their games in during the summer. And then um, during the, in the fall, winter, spring, use those moments for development, brand building, education um, in a different manner. So we're not um, challenging these athletes to compete and perform in the classroom and simultaneously on the court, uh, we separate the two. So if you just think about it, they're students that have a summertime job that happens to be basketball. Nice, nice. that's nice. Well, yeah, keep me, you know, up to date at what's going on there. You know, what I'm saying I'm, I'm, I'm happy somebody is tapping into it as well. You know, you got the pandemic and you know uh, the social injustice that's going on here. 
I know you, you know, you speak, you speak your mind about that, what you have going on and who you working with down there as far as anything going on. Yeah. Well, um, you know, we're, uh, we're just doing work, man. Everything that we've done up to this point, uh, you know, in, in terms of my own personal life, um, is all, is always motive is motivated by sort of the right, the right side of history and trying to do the right thing. Um, you know, I have uh, something I try to impart with the young kids I work with. And, you know, if you don't do anything else, when you wake up in the morning, just do the right thing. Just try to do whatever the right thing is, you know, wake up thinking about doing the right things, like keeping yourself healthy, keeping yourself calm, you know, pushing yourself toward what you, what you set it out in terms of goals. Um, just keep moving in that direction, right? Doing the right thing. Um, and the way, you know, you're doing the right thing is, uh, you know, the outcomes, the positive outcomes that are being produced by the decisions that you make. So when you make a decision, open this door, close that door, go left, go right, go, you know, go meet that person, not meet that person. When you make those decisions, those outcomes need to be positive. And if those outcomes are positive, then, you know, again, you're creating an energy that will move you forward. Um, so with that, man, like that's sort of the way that I've been balanced and been centered and, um, when I see things in society that aren't right, um, I'm motivated to speak out. And, you know, this is a very polarizing time for our nation, um, not just because of, uh, you know, Trump being in office, but just the, the general um, um, condition of our society. And we, you know, those of us um, uh, who, who, who are compelled, you know, should speak and use our platforms, you know, to bring attention to, um, again, right now, the idea is, you know, over policing and and you know, the lack of justice that black people receive uh, at the hands of the justice uh, mechanisms in this country. So um, that's why people are in the streets and, 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 and proclaiming that black lives matter, um, you know, because this country hasn't proven itself yet um, that black life does. Right. We have the largest incarcerated population on the planet. Um, you know, we know that black people and black Communities are over-policed, underserved, um, underdeveloped, gentrified, uh, and then gentrified, underdeveloped, and then gentrified. Um, we know that our children are underserved um, educationally. Um, we know that the majority of the food deserts in this in this country um, um, exist or uh, persist in communities in which Black and Brown people live. Um, so we're dealing with a lot of these social ills in this society. Uh, and like I said, because of, you know, just my background and, um, again, how I'm compelled, I always feel there's a need to offer my point of view, offer things from my lens, um, you know, because part of what we should do as a society is work toward having clear, precise and coherent uh, conversations, right? Our conversations need to be more clear. Um, be more based in truth and logic um, and really be thinking about the world that we're creating for the younger people at this stage, right? I'm, I'll be 40 years old in a, in a few weeks, man. And like that trips me out because I'm right. so used in my mind. Sometimes I'm still used to being a young cat, like young fella. I'm like, man, you, you got to let that go. Right. Like, right. Now. like, so it's like, what are we doing now to create a world that we're proud to leave, you know, our kids and our grandkids and our great grandkids. And we're at a we're at a moment, man, where this this planet is boiling hot because we're burning too much damn oil. You know, we won't shift toward clean, renewable energy. You know what I'm saying? We won't. You know, we again, we're, at, we're 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 meeting major crisis head on in terms of this planet. Um, you know, sickness and disease, right with this pandemic. And, poverty and trying to eliminate and alleviate poverty, bringing people up to a better standard of living. All of these challenges are in front of us. And um, we sometimes we can uh, we can get to a point where we're not talking about them, right? We just forget about them. We let them go by the wayside. But the people being affected by them don't have that luxury. So um, part of our responsibility, like I said, is to raise the alarm, is to bring awareness, use our platform to make sure that you know, our society is uh, conscious of these issues and we're trying to bring clarity to them. Now, question here. Um, I'm going to ask a series of questions. Uh, favorite coach, favorite teammate, and the most underrated guy you had to play against? 
Ooh, man. All right. So favorite coach, that's a tough one. Any level? Um, we can we can try NBA, but it can be any level. All right. So, uh, damn, I don't know who my favorite coach um is in the league. I would say, um, you know, the guys that I have the greatest amount of respect for um would probably be, you know, B. Scott and Frank Vogel because they allowed me a certain amount of freedom and license that other folks like Tim Floyd couldn't give it to me as a rookie. And then, you know, Pop and, and Steve Kerr had their own still. So I was just sort of fit in there. But but uh, Coach Scott and, and, and Frank really um, are the two guys that are probably my favorites. And then both of them kind of have, you know, um, special special places. Like B. Scott, I didn't understand what, what Coach Scott was while I was playing with him. Um, you know, he, he really gave me – I realized it after I left, right? Like, damn, you know, I could get through – I never experienced a training camp like these guys training camp, right? So, <laughs> after after I went through them joints and then I went to Indiana, then I go to San Antonio, I'm in Golden. I'm like, man, this ain't shit. Like, <laughs> I was walking through training camp. So, I, like, I developed an appreciation for, for Coach Scott after that, like, you know, it it really hardened me. Like I said, it 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 gave me a certain type of fortitude about competing and playing. And like when I tore my ACL, like the rehab, I'm like, yo, I used. Do y'all know how much I used to run? I would tell them like, yo, man, we used to run all day, all night. This man would have us. So the rehab was nothing. And I realized like that helped me. You know, really get myself back going. I was able to meet the challenges of like getting your body rebuilt. Uh, because of that. And then Frank gave me, you know, he trusted me, man. Like Frank trusted, you know, my experience. Um, you know, he and um and, and Dan Burke, uh, who's like the defensive uh coach for the for the Pacers, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, really allowed me to give them some input as to like our style of play and you know how we were gonna set the tone defensively. You know, it was my first time like being asked, like, how should we how how would you how would we scheme for this? How would we scheme for that? And like I'd be like, okay, you know, and Dan Burke and I would talk through some things and we pick option A, option B, um, you know, and then it got to a point where some of the other coaches were doing that. And I'm like, damn, okay, this is, you know, and, and I and I was always respected Frank for that because he, he really respected my basketball mind um, and gave me that, you know, that freedom. Like, yo, what do you think we should do here? I'm like, oh, okay. And, you know, that for a basketball player, that's a big deal. So. Those Huge two guys, though, yeah, those, yeah, those two guys <laughs> from a coaching standpoint are probably my fave um, at the professional level. And then um, my most underrated player, um, damn, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I don't. Nobody in the in the NBA is underrated. I would say that like everybody's good, and um, you probably had, you learn that lesson early when you're young. You get a little. You get a little cocky, you know, like this guy's older, you know, and you don't realize like one day you're going to get old. Uh, right. in the league. <laughs> um, so when I was, you know, probably my rookie year, I got humbled by Tony. You know, Tony Kukoc was a guy that at the time, this was like his literally last year playing, I think. And uh, he was in Milwaukee. And, you know, I was having some success coming off the bench as a rookie, playing against older guys in that, in those backup minutes. You know what I mean? Like, especially when I was coming in the game early in the first quarter or, or midway through the first quarter. So, um, you know, I underrated, I underestimated Tony Kukoc. I underestimated Sharif Abdul-Rahim one night, um, you know, because I'm just hearing everybody talk about it's going to be his last year and he can't move no more and all that other stuff. Right. Um, <laughs> fell into that trap. Yeah, ref <laughs> fell into that trap. So, you know, probably probably in, in that regard, like that's how I would, I would say, like I under underestimated uh, guys. I wouldn't necessarily say I played against anybody that was underrated because, you know, again, I'm one of these guys that respect fully what the league is. And, like, if you're in the, if you're in the NBA, you nice. You may be a role player in the NBA, but you drop 100 anywhere else you go. So, um, <laughs> you know, I always respect guys in that manner who are in the league. All right, man, listen, I ain't going to keep you too much longer, but i like to end this, this segment. It's called Free Game. Right. So your opportunity to give these people out here some free game. Uh, man, free game. 
Um, I guess you no, know, I'll start with the uh with the young hoopers, man. Um, you know, get in the gym. You know, that's the biggest thing. Um, and Coach Prosser, you know, we just celebrated Coach Prosser. I think he, he passed away. The anniversary of his death was a few days ago. Um, you know, one of Coach Prosser's favorite uh, sayings to me, and I use it with my son to this day, man, is, uh, you know, get in the gym and practice making shots. Don't practice taking shots. Practice making them. And, um, you know, I think a lot of these kids get sideways. They go in and get reps, but they don't necessarily – you know, going to the gym with the intention of, of making shots. So you're a young hooper out here, man, get in the gym, make shots. Um, you know, take serious of what you're doing so what you're doing can be taken serious by other people. Um, you know, that would be my other piece of advice, man. And that and that goes across the board, not just the young hoopers, but anybody doing anything. Like if you want people to take you serious, you got to take serious what you're doing and you got to mm. show them that you're taking it serious. Like that. So – um, like you know, that would be it, man. Like I said, you know, take serious what you're doing so people will take serious what, you know, so, again, people will take serious what you're doing um, so what you're doing can be taken serious. And y'all have it right there, free game from David yes, West, sir. man. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate Absolutely. you. Yo, this is James Posey. Thanks for checking out Posecast, brought to you by BasketballNews.com. You can check out Posecast every Thursday on all your listening platforms. Presenting sponsor of the postcast is greensupply.com. With everything going on in the world, it is more important than ever to stay safe. At greensupply.com, you can purchase masks, hand sanitizer, and other important health and wellness products, all in stock with same-day shipping. Best of all, listeners can get 10% off their order when using the promo code POSEY at checkout. That's P-O-S-E-Y. For 10% off your order of KN95 or cloth mask, hand sanitizer, or other supplies like forehead thermometers and UV boxes. Visit greensupply.com. That's greensupply.com today.